this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, that's what a lot of doctors were prescribing back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, especially folks from the Midwest, the doctors say, you need to go to the desert. That's kind of a nice prescription. Yeah, You need to exactly. go to the desert and, and sit by the swimming pool. Yeah, actually, yeah. my doctor said that to me. Oh, is that said, right? Yeah. You need to go to Palm Springs. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, the sitting by the pool that I need to do more regularly. <laughs> Welcome to the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all 63 U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today is part two of our two-part series about Southern California's Joshua Tree National Park and the Palm Springs area. Throughout the United States, there are a lot of other public lands surrounding the national parks that are worth exploring, and the Palm Springs area has a slew of great ones. In this episode, we're going to be talking about some hiking trails that are within a national forest, a national monument, a state park, and a Bureau of Land Management site. Plus, we'll talk about day hiking the Pacific Crest Trail and a few of our favorite trails that are inside an Indian reservation. Thanks for joining us today as we talk about finding adventures in the Palm Springs area and why you'll want to spend some time here when visiting Joshua Tree National Park. All right, before we dive into the world of Palm Springs, there was some exciting news this past week. This is a trend with you. You're, you like the lead with the news. I like that. You're like a broadcast journalist over there. Well, that was my major in college. It, it was, yes. <laughs> that I, I've never used for all these decades. You want to report on the news. Karen, what's the breaking news? <laughs> the breaking news is there is a new National Park Service site. This is the 429th unit of the NPS. This is a National Historic Site, and it's located in Southeast Colorado. Yeah, so uh, just to be clear with everyone, a lot of times we get messages from folks and when there's a new NPS site, people think it's a new national park. And so a lot of times the National Park Service, they will call it a park, but this is not a national park, national park. It's still part of the system, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Right, right. It's called Amachi National Historic Site. And I looked at a map, Matt. It's uh, right by the little town of Grenada, Colorado, but it is almost right 
on the Kansas border. So so this is southeast Colorado, but you know, you could hop, skip and jump your way into Kansas. And so it must be close to the Oklahoma panhandle too. Yeah, it is. So what is important about this National Historic Site is it was one of 10 incarceration sites used to detain thousands of Japanese Americans during World War II. Now, you know, I don't know if people realize, but this was actually in the news two years ago. Um, It's been in the works for two years, since March of 2022, when President Biden signed into law a bill backed by Colorado lawmakers to designate this camp a national historic site. Yeah, it took uh, two years for the town of Grenada to acquire the land and, yeah, establish this national park unit. Right. They acquired it and then they donated it to the National Park Service. You know what's really cool about this map? At the site, you can see the ruins of um, food halls, military police stations, a cemetery, and a barracks. This has been maintained ever since 1993 by a Grenada High School history teacher and dean. His name is John Hopper and his students. Um, So the town of Grenada owned the site and it was already listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And John Hopper and his students started... They started small. They were mowing the weeds in the Amachi Cemetery. Then eventually they opened a museum, and they still plan to manage their museum exhibit now, now that it's an NPS site, which features some new research and has expanded into larger buildings in Grenada. Well, that's great that they did that. It's great that they had the foresight to take care of these, so now... They can preserve them, and it's part of our history. Right. Huge credit to Mr. John Hopper and his uh, his high school kids. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what this is about, this incarceration site tells the story of a really dark chapter in American history when, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt signed an order, this was in February of 1942, that forced 120,000 Japanese Americans to leave their homes in the Western United States. And these Japanese Americans were imprisoned throughout 10 camps. These were located in California, Arizona, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, Arkansas, and Colorado. And more than 7,000 were held specifically at Amachi between 1942 and 1945. It is a dark chapter in our history. As you might imagine, the relocation program had significant consequences for Japanese Americans. They lost $400 million in property during the incarceration. So in 1948, Congress provided $38 million in reparations. And 40 years later, they paid an additional $20,000 to each surviving individual who had been detained in the camps. The National Park Service now has protected um, several similar sites Um, that you could go visit. There is the Manzanar National Historic Site in California, the Minidoka National Historic Site in Idaho, um, and Thule Lake National Monument in California. Those are some others that also um, tell the the story of the incarcerated Japanese Americans. Didn't we drive by Thule Lake? We did. Yeah, I didn't realize when we drove by, it's a spectacular lake to see from the road, but I didn't realize they had a national monument there. 
We were driving along the west side of Thule Lake, the lake itself, on our way to Lava Beds National Monument from Seattle. But the town of Thule Lake is on the east side of the lake, which is where the National Monument is located. So we didn't drive right by it. No. And the visitor center has limited hours. It's only open from Memorial Day through Labor Day on Thursdays through Mondays. And access to the jail and the camp is closed to the public unless you have a ranger tour scheduled. So if anyone is interested in visiting, make sure you call ahead of time and get the details on scheduling a uh, ranger-led tour. Anyway, we'll, we'll go back. Right, right. So that's the news this week. A new National Park Unit, Amachi National Historic Site. So check that one out if you are ever in Southeast Colorado. What a professional broadcast journalist you well, are. Well, thank just, you. I'm in awe. Sometimes I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk anymore. Okay, today, Karen, though, we are talking about Palm Springs. Palm Springs in Southern California, that's right. And, you know, our original plan was to include it in our Joshua Tree National Park episode that came out last week. But we were about 57 minutes in and still talking about Joshua Tree. <laughs> yeah, we, we couldn't fit Palm Springs into that episode. So we're giving it its own episode. Right, because as we said last week, this is such a great add-on when you're visiting Joshua Tree. You don't want to miss Palm Springs because there's all kinds of recreation like golf and tennis, but the hiking is really great. It has become popular because of the golf and the tennis and the restaurants and the shopping, but people we know, and I think a lot of the locals, they're starting to find the incredible hikes yes. and trails. Mm -hmm. And so that's becoming the thing to do when you go to Palm Springs, which is great. And now now we're finding all sorts of new trails to hike because uh, uh, they're becoming more popular. So yeah, Palm Springs is a great outdoor destination. Right. You know, we started visiting Palm Springs about 15 to 20 years ago after we moved to Seattle. And I'll be honest, it probably wouldn't have been on our radar. But here in Washington State, it's a huge destination. And a lot of people have second homes down there. And they go down there and spend the winter to get away from the rain here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it's an easy flight. There's a lot of direct flights to Palm Springs. Uh, people have second homes there. They go back and forth. It's kind of like people have said, it's kind of like New Yorkers going to Miami or or Florida. It's easy flight. It's the same time zone. So yeah, that's the West Coast version. So Matt, I'm going to do just a, a really, really short little history of Palm Springs. D is this going to uh, get the music or no, not? No, 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 no. Not, no, no music? Do you no. want to hum a few bars? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was weak. <laughs> Okay, not better, much, not, better. Not much better. All right, <laughs> let's do it. All right. The Palm Springs area has been inhabited by the Agua Caliente Indians for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Then in 1876, the U.S. government established the Agua Caliente Reservation. This is over 31,000 acres and it was interesting because if you look at the reservation map, it's got a checkerboard pattern. It's interspersed also with sections that were given to the Southern Pacific Railroad as an incentive to bring their rail lines through the desert. So this checkerboard format that the Agua Caliente Indians own 
This includes downtown Palm Springs, and this makes the tribe one of the wealthiest tribes in the United States. And what's really interesting, and we found this out because we know some people who own real estate down there, is that the land underneath a lot of the homes and condos in the Palm Springs area is owned by the Agua Caliente people. So they lease the land. You buy the home and you lease the land and they have the rights to lease the land for 99 years at a time. And this goes back to 1959. Yeah, it depends on where on the checkerboard you're at. Uh, some, Some homes are private land, but a lot of them, like you said, are on the reservation. And it's it's important detail to know if you're contemplating buying real estate. Exactly. Yeah. Now, fast forward to the early 1900s, and Palm Springs began to establish itself as the world-class destination that it is now. You know, many of the first residents came because of the dry, hot climate. They thought it was beneficial to their health, especially people who had tuberculosis. This was a big destination. They thought that the dry heat could cure uh, TB. Well, that's what a lot of doctors were prescribing back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, especially folks from the Midwest, the doctors say, you need to go to the desert. That's kind of a nice prescription. Yeah, you need exactly. to go to the desert and, and sit by the swimming pool. Yeah, actually, yeah. my doctor said that to me. Oh, is that right? Yeah. You need to go to Palm Springs. Yeah, it's the, the the sitting by the pool that I need to do more regularly. All right, we'll have, we'll have a little chat with him. Now, in the 1930s, Palm Springs became the number one desert getaway for Hollywood stars. Apparently, Las Vegas didn't become the Hollywood destination until the late 1940s. But one of the reasons that the stars were flocking to Palm Springs is because of a quirk in Hollywood contracts at the time that used to stipulate a two-hour rule. And that meant that no famous face should be more than 120 minutes away from the LA area in case they were needed for an urgent film shoot. So Palm Springs was within that radius. It's It's about 100 miles from Los Angeles. Famous faces, huh? Famous faces. And you know, the list of famous people who had homes in Palm Springs is endless. And one of the cool things I think about Palm Springs and the other um, suburbs, so to speak, is the incredible mid-century modern architecture. I love the mid-century modern architecture. It reminds me, they all remind me of George Jetson. (laughs) Yeah. It's very George Jetson-like. Yeah. And back when we were kids and watching cartoons, it wasn't mid-century modern. It was just today because we grew up in the middle of the century. We didn't grow up in the 50s, but we in the 60s, a lot of our houses looked like that. Right, yeah. right. Uh, it's so much fun to see these homes there. And the thing is, people have, they've either preserved the 1950s style and look, or they have gone back and and redone them in that style. So I'm lucky because I have a lot of girlfriends who have places in Palm Springs. And on one of the trips to one of my friends, her family owns a condo. This condo building was built in the 1950s, completely untouched Everything in this condo, the furniture, the appliances, everything was was still from the 1950s. And the thing I love the most, I'll never forget this, is when we walked into the kitchen, she touched a button on the countertop and one section of counter 
flipped upside down and there attached to the bottom was a blender and it was like boop and all of a sudden spin and there's your blender to make your cocktails they were doing a lot of blending back yes. back in the 50s yes. yeah okay why don't we have that today i don't know do we even have a blender i well <laughs> what would what would you put on the rotating countertop toaster maybe the, no the, the, i want a blender oh you want the for, blender yeah, for you cocktails have a little bar there oh yeah yeah that's that's probably a bad lifestyle choice Karen. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> how about if we press a button and a vitamix pops up taking, how about that yeah you're taking all the fun out of it now <laughs> anyway so yes a lot of mid-century modern architecture throughout uh throughout this area which is really fun to see all right karen i see here on the outline that today Palm Springs is considered the golf capital of the world? Yes, since we're not golfers, I was unaware of that. I think there's probably some other areas in the world that are going to dispute that, but there is a lot of golfing down there and a lot of tennis. And that's a huge tennis place. Huge tennis, right. And the thing, one of the things to love about Palm Springs is that when you take a vacation to Palm Springs, you can have a restorative vacation or you can have an adventurous vacation you can it depends on what flips up when you press that button karen (laughs) (laughs) if a cocktail flips up and you want to sit by the pool then there's your vacation every day and it's fabulous yeah i think when we go to palm springs it's both restorative and and adventurous yeah yeah you you can fit it all in right you can hike in the morning and then you can sit by the pool in the afternoon so there's something for everyone okay so i want to talk about the palm springs airport the tiny airport this is my favorite airport we have ever been to you know why why? <laughs> <laughs> because you walk off the plane and just in a short distance, you're on vacation. Yes. It's this tiny airport. And when you exit the plane, you know, in the, your, the little gate and these sliding doors open up, most of the airport is accessed from this outside area that has palm trees and All of a sudden, you step off the plane and boom, you are on vacation. You know, most of you have probably been to really big airports. And by the time you get off the plane and you go and you get your baggage and you go and you get your rental car, half the time you have to take a shuttle to the rental car place. It's a big headache, right? Just to get all that done. In a lot of airports, it is. Yeah. Yeah. This one, you take three steps, <laughs> maybe a few more than three. You're at baggage claim. You grab your bag. The car rental place is literally right there at baggage claim. You get your keys. You walk out the sliding glass doors. The cars are right there. It's the fastest exit we have ever done anywhere. It is. The The clerk at the car rental place pointed to our car. He said it's that one. It's that one. Yeah. Right, right. You almost feel like you're at a friend's house. There's your car. Yes. You can borrow my car. Yes. Just bring it back in a week when you're done with it. I love the airport. So if you can fly in and out of Palm Springs Airport, that is what we would advise as opposed to, obviously, there are a ton of airports in the LA area. So you you can do that and then drive to Palm Springs. But the traffic coming from LA to Palm Springs can be uh, a nightmare. So just know that also. Now, Karen, we use the term Palm Springs, which is the town that we go to. But you know, that whole Coachella Valley that's a that's a sprawl. There's there's a lot more 
outside of Palm Springs proper if you go east. Yes, and so here's the thing to know. So Palm Springs is a town on the western side of the valley, but then you also have other towns connected like Cathedral City, Indian Wells, Indio, La Quinta, Palm Desert, Rancho Mirage. So all of these are in the greater Palm Springs area, but it is confusing. And when you're looking at things like restaurants and lodging, you want to look at a map because if you're driving from Palm Springs proper in the west to the end of this 45-mile valley, it's going to take you a long time. That's right. We have actually made this mistake before. It's planned dinner that's like 45 minutes away. Right. And it seems like there's a stoplight every three blocks. Yeah. 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 We have been to this area a couple of times, not for the Coachella Music Festival, but the one they have right after Coachella, which is Stagecoach, Mm -hmm. which is the country music version of Coachella. That's a wild ride right there. (laughs) That is uh, the best collection of country music artists of all subgenres of country music that you'll find in one place. But yeah, you, you have to be... You have to be in good physical condition to do stagecoach. <laughs> and very well rested because it's, well, is it three days? Friday, Saturday, Sunday? It's at least three days. It might, it seems like seems eight like a, days. It seems like a month, right? Um, but it's three days. Very fun. And stagecoach is held in the same place that Coachella is. And this would be on the, on the eastern side of the valley. So, yeah, so just know when you're planning, um, when you're planning your trip, where it is you want to stay. I think it's all good, but it kind of depends on what you want to do. All right. So Karen, let's talk specifically about some of our favorite hikes in the area. Okay. We're going to do that. And you know, one thing I wanted to mention is that Matt, you haven't been on all the hikes that we're going to talk about. I know because you keep going down there with your girlfriends while I'm at home doing all the chores, (laughs) keeping the boat afloat. Okay, that's true. But in my defense, this this group of women originally came together as a book club. How come you don't take books with you? Well, I've never seen any books. Well, that's because we quickly realized that we like hiking better than reading. So now it kind of switched from a book club to a, a hiking slash travel club. I think it's a dress up and have cocktails club. Well, it's that what, too. <laughs> what it is. <laughs> It's a combo of a lot of things, but not so much reading anymore. Not so much books. Yeah. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But first, let's talk about perhaps our favorite area to hike in, which is Indian Canyons. Indian Canyons is very close to Palm Springs proper. This is um, part of the Agua Caliente Reservation, which, like we just explained, so is a lot of the area in, in and around Palm Springs. But this particular area is designated just for outdoor recreation, just for hiking. There's actually an entrance kiosk that you have to stop at, and there's an entrance fee. Uh, but once you get into it, it does have very much the feel of a public land, like like a national park-like place. 
It sure does. So they have 60 miles of hiking trails inside this area. We were just there a couple weeks ago. The current cost is $12 per adult. I know now kids and seniors pay less. Once you are in, you, like Matt said, you go actually go through a ticket booth. Once you're in, there are different areas where you can park. If you go all the way to the end, there's also a trading post and they have rangers. That's right. There's a trading post. And so there's parking lots up there. And, and a lot of times that can get crowded. So if you're going up there, you might want to go early. This first trail we'll talk about, you're making the first right-hand turn once you get through the ticket kiosk. The name of the hike is Murray Canyon to Seven Sisters Falls. On the Agua Caliente website, they call it Seven Sisters Falls. And just want to let people know that if you use an app like All Trails, which is what I use on my desktop to research trails, typing in Seven Sisters Falls all Trails doesn't know what that is. So type in Murray Canyon to Seven Falls and you'll find this hike. Yes. And here's what's even more confusing. When you take that first right turn, as Matt said, you are actually parking in the Andreas Canyon, not Murray Canyon. There's a couple other trails in there. We think that's the best place to start because if you go to the second turnoff where there's a parking area called Murray Canyon, you can also get there from there. It's not quite as scenic because you miss the first oasis group of um, palm trees and things. So our suggestion, take the first right park in Andreas Canyon and look for the trailhead that says Seven Sisters Trail in Murray Canyon. This is a place where you need the map. The, the, map, the map they give you yes. when you enter, you, you want to hold on to that one. Yes, you do. All right. So this particular trail is four miles round trip. It's easy. There are numerous stream crossings, however. So our suggestion would be, well, it, it depends how much water is in the stream, but you're probably going to get your feet wet. You could try to rock hop across, but I tell you what, we saw people spending more time trying to not step in the water. And it was a beautiful day when we were there. We just plowed right through the water. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, you know, people are slipping and falling, trying to avoid the water. Mm -hmm. And the, that that kind of a fall can be way worse than getting your feet wet. Yeah. Splash through. If you're okay with stepping in three inches of water, <laughs> then just save yourself a lot of time and just, just plow, plow right through. Right. And what's really cool about this hike is there are numerous waterfalls as you make your way back. And you're going to be hiking through um, palm tree oasis. Is the plural of oasis oases? I have no clue. I think it is. I'm just going to go ahead and say uh, oh, oases. oases. Because I'm going to say oasises. <laughs> because there is more than one. There are multiple ones that you will cross through. It's absolutely beautiful. It's like you are no longer in the desert when you are hiking through there. Yeah, it's a great trail. It's pretty easy. There's just enough little scrambling and, and water crossings to make you feel like you're, you know, a kid again. But the fact that it's easy and pretty means that uh, you'll you'll have a lot of new hiking friends. Well, yes, and we were there on a Sunday. We've done this twice. I don't remember what day of the week it was the first time because it was a long time ago. We were there on a Sunday. We got there pretty early as we were coming out. There were a ton of people hiking in. 
One thing to note in this park, you know, it's private because it's owned by the Indian Reservation. They have set hours. So I would go as soon as they open up, which is 8 a.m. The thing is, and this is really important, they close at 5 p.m. They stop letting people in at 4 p.m. They close at 5. And if you're off on a trail and you don't come back, they, they say they will tow cars. So you have got to be back and out by 5 p.m. Yeah, I'm sure they have some process for for cars that are stuck back there after they close the gate, but um, you, you might have to call somebody and, and wait for them to finish dinner before they come <laughs> and open the gate and let you out. So yeah, just know that you probably should be out by closing time. And the other hike we wanted to mention back there is the East Fork Trail. This one starts at the trading post, so you're going to want to drive the park road all the way to the end. It dead ends at the trading post. Yeah, and the trailhead starts there. You hike, well, depending on which direction you go. We usually hike this uh, counterclockwise. You start off by going down, down, down into an oasis. Uh, then you're hiking along this uh, kind of oasis area. It's pretty easy. Then you go up a wash. But the what I like about this hike is probably a half a mile in, you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you feel like you are a thousand miles from civilization, even though you know, just over that hill is Palm Springs, right? but you can't see it. And right. so this is one of the reasons we like to hike in this area is, I mean, from a drive, you're literally 10 minutes from the town, but you're out hiking and you're completely in the middle of, of the wilderness. So that's that's a great getaway. It is. And this particular trail does not have the crowds like the Seven Sisters does. So specifically, they have great trail markers. I think they do a fantastic job. I'm sure it's so people don't get lost up there. But after we hike down into this Palm Canyon and go along the oasis, then there is a sign to take the East Fork Loop Trail. We take that up to the Vanda Venter Trail. And this whole loop is about seven miles. I'd say it's moderate. But one thing, it kind of goes through like a little slot canyon area as you're hiking up to this plateau. Yeah. So you, you've got that. You've got some great views. And again, maybe it's just coincidence. But the way the views are, you never see the city. And you don't right. see the visitor center. And so you, you feel like you're out there. But also, when you get the map, you're going to find there are other trails that crisscross through this area. Yes. So you could make your own loop. Mm -hmm. um, just pay attention to the signs. The map's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And um, if you follow it, you, you can get yourself back to the visitor center eventually. Right. So you can make it shorter. You can make it longer. But boy, once you are up on this, yeah, up on this kind of plateau, this ridge hiking along, gorgeous views. Uh, you feel like you are just in the middle of nowhere. So we love this one. Uh, one thing I did want to add to the, I think the very first time we hiked this, we've done it a couple of times. We were almost back to the trading post. And as we rounded a bend, there, were, there was a couple standing on the trail. They had stopped hiking and they were like looking at something down at their feet in a little shrubby bush. Yeah, yeah, it was a coiled rattlesnake that was rattling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th those are the two warning signs. They're coiled, which means they're ready to strike, and they're rattling, which means they're pissed. And these people, 
they were getting really close. And and I made a comment that they should probably back away. I mean, literally, a snake can strike the distance of his body. That's why it's mm-hmm. coiled up. And they were within that distance. And, and I was trying to explain to them, you know, that's too close. And they didn't like my suggestion. <laughs> yeah, they, I think it was that, not appreciated. No, there was some comments, there was some laughing. Mm-hmm. And so we, we continued to hike because we didn't want to be around when it happened. That had to be like 200 feet from the visitor center. Yes, yes, I, I which mean, is good because then if they if they did get bitten by the rattlesnake, there would be some emergency help close by. So it was a good location if you're going to be poking um, a rattlesnake. I guess. But anyway, they're, in all seriousness, the good thing about rattlesnakes, they do let you know mm-hmm. if you're too close. They do let you know if you're in their space. You'll hear them. Right. And so, like, you have a chance to just give them room. Right. But just keep in mind that this um, this entire area, the desert, is their home. And so when you're on these hiking trails, you want to keep an eye out on the trail where you're placing your feet. And you certainly don't want your kiddos to just run amok. Right. Because, you know, they coil up under these shrubs and you actually can't see them until it's too late. So just keep an eye out. There are rattlesnakes up there. Uh, so that's the Agua Caliente Reservation. Uh, other great hikes there. Check it out. Go there, get a map, and find your own adventure. That's right. But there's other places in, in the area to hike. One of the things we love to do is day hike sections of the Pacific Crest Trail. The Pacific Crest Trail runs right. It doesn't run through Palm Springs proper, but it runs just to the west of it. So it's 2,650 miles, and it runs from the Mexican border all the way up to the Canadian border. Yeah, it passes through seven national parks. It runs through Kings Canyon and Sequoia, Yosemite, Lassen Volcanic, Crater Lake, Mount Rainier, and North Cascades. And we always like, if we're ever close... Depending on what state we're in, we we like to go just hike a little bit of it. Yeah, it's fun to, to see the trail signs and to be on the Pacific Crest Trail. So when hikers start at the Mexican border, you know, it's not that far from there up to Palm Springs area. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. By, by the time they get there, though, they, they're questioning... <laughs> Um, why they decided to do this and tell the world and tell all their friends and make the claim that they're going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. So this is one of the first areas where you could just, you could exit out, get one of those cocktail blenders and and (laughs) sit by the pool and decide, yeah, I've seen enough. Well, you could because the San Jacinto Mountains is notorious for its elevation change along the traverse. So these hikers are going from the 11,000-foot peak of San Jacinto, then descending almost 9,600 feet in 20 miles. And they dropped through all six of California's life zones. Karen, did you know that? I didn't even know what a life zone was. (laughs) You're hiking from a barren alpine summit down through the forest of white firs and lodgepole pines all the way down to the desert floor. Wow. 
all in 20 miles. That's right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, timing is everything for these hikers because they're going to be spending many months. Now, it depends on how fast they hike, but it could be anywhere. I think the fastest people do it in about three months, but I think average can be five to six months. And so they want to start in the southern part of the trail where it's warmer and then not get up to the snowy mountainous sections until later in the summer so the snow has a chance to melt. So March 1st is the first day that permits are issued to start hiking. But I read that most northbound through hikers start in mid-April to early May. Yeah, if they're going to go quickly, then that would be a good time. I don't know if anyone does it north to south. I mean, because you just you just can't get up to that Canadian border to start until a lot of that snow goes away. We've hiked that trail almost up to the Canadian border, and it's high elevation in the mountains. Yes. I mean, it's not going to be snow-free until at least July, depending on the snowpack. But in the Palm Springs area, you can day hike sections of the PCT, and there are different access points. You can access the PCT near the town of Idlewild or several points to the north of the San Jacintos. We hiked a section of it a few years ago in the Whitewater Preserve, which is northwest of Palm Springs. Right, and a little bit closer to Palm Springs, we just recently hiked a section of it from Snow Creek Canyon Road, which is off of Highway 111. We just hiked out a few miles and then turned around just before the trail started climbing up towards uh, San Jacinto Peak. But there's a much easier way to get up there. <laughs> yes, you can ride a tram. That's, that's more my speed. You can take the tram. We did this years ago. It's called the Palm Springs Aerial Tramway, and it's the, it's the world's largest rotating tram car. It travels over two and a half miles and goes up 6,000 feet of elevation. And when you get up there, now you're, you're starting in the desert, but when you get up there, you're like in this treed wilderness area. Right. It takes you up to the wilderness of Mount San Jacinto State Park. It only takes about 10 minutes for the tram to get to the top, which is pretty fast, right? And these tram cars rotate slowly. The floor actually turns, and then that way it allows everyone in the tram to um, have a great view because it rotates. And then when the tram crosses over five towers, the car swings a little bit after each tower and the wind can also make the car swing so just know if that's something that's going to bother you to be in something like that yeah probably not much of a different experience than a lot of gondolas right so, right yeah. but once you reach the top that it's called the mountain station you are at an elevation of 8,516 feet and there is some civilization up there yeah there, there's a couple of restaurants there's observation deck there's even a natural history museum. It's got a couple of documentary theaters, a gift shop, and there are hiking trails up there. There's over 50 miles of, of hiking trails up there. We did that a little bit, and I kind of was surprised. It was a little snowy. Yes, and that is because the weather up there is typically 30 to 40 degrees cooler than on the desert floor. And it could be snowy up there depending on when you go. So you definitely want to check the weather if you're planning to hike. Yeah, it's like a completely different climate up there. And another thing that you can do is from there, from the tram, you can hike five miles up to San Jacinto Peak. 
Now that's pretty strenuous, five miles to the peak. And, and if you're going to come back to the tram, which I would imagine you would, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a 10 mile round trip and it's 2,600 feet elevation gain. So, you know, five miles, 500 feet elevation gain per mile. That's, uh, I mean, that's strenuous. Uh, so you could have a cool tram ride. You could do a fun hike. So if you want to do this, tickets cost about $30 for adults, $19 for kids, age 3 through 10. This is a fantastic different kind of activity because oh, yeah. you're changing the, the environment and you're going up in the mountains, uh, you know, especially if you're there when it's warm. But again, definitely, unless you're going in the summer, you're going to want to take a jacket. If you want to hike, you're probably going to need some uh, micro spikes and trekking poles and things. So just know that it is a lot colder up at the top. But that's not the only way to get to San Jacinto Peak, Karen. You can actually hike the Cactus to Clouds Trail all the way from Palm Springs to the top. And that's 10,300 feet of elevation gain. It's a 21-mile hike. Right. And the thing to know about that, it's even steeper than that sounds because that 10,300 feet of elevation gain is taking you up 16 miles to the peak. And then once you reach the peak, then you backtrack five miles to the tram and you take the tram down. That's what most people do because as a day hike, you're not going to be able to retrace your steps and get all the way back down. Yeah, and then you're you're hiking down like we said you're it's 2600 feet back down in elevation change to the tram. And you're taking the tram back. You're not you're not I don't think anyone's <laughs> hiking then. I mean once once you've done that 21 miles, there's no way you're hiking past the tram. It just no, like, no, 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 I'll just, no. I'll just hike down from here. Right. And, you know, you're going to want to be feeling very adventurous because Backpacker Magazine rated it one of the hardest day hikes in the world. And, you know, there have been there have been some deaths, people who have attempted this, and there have been a lot of rescues. So this is one where you definitely need to know your ability before you set out to do this. Yeah, we even had friends uh, attempt this, and they hired a guide, and the guide quit. The guide quit before they got to the peak. And he took he turned around and took the tram. He's like, the yeah, guide. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. done with you guys. Right. I'm, I'm taking the tram back. So it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And there's a really small window of time to do it because of what we talked about, because of snow up there and in the summer, it's going to be brutally hot You know, at the bottom sections of the hike. So... If you want to do it, late September through early October is the best time. Uh, the second best time, they say, is May. But during uh, June through September, the summertime, that's when a lot of the tragedies occur. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it's just much more of a challenge. So anyway, the Cactus to Clouds hike starts on the museum trail located right behind the Palm Springs Art Museum. Right. And the other thing to know is that after you ride the tram down, you are going to be in a different place than when you started the hike. So, you know, you're going to have to arrange for someone to pick you up. I guess you could Uber. I'm not sure if there are any shuttles there, but just know that, you know, your car is going to be parked down by the art museum unless you get dropped off. So there are some transportation issues to arrange on that. But if you want an easier hike or you just um, decide a mile into it that you're not going to hike all the way to the peak, you can hike that Art Museum Trail, which is where the Cactus to Clouds Trail starts. 
It's a 1.7 mile round trip. Now this is a thousand feet of elevation gain, but a lot of people do this as a short hike. Now that's more than a thousand feet of elevation gain in a mile. So that is steep, but people who want to, you know, they're there on vacation and they're, they want to get it in before they, you know, go lay by the pool. You do this and that's your days of exercise. Yeah, we've done it a couple of times and I can remember just huffing and puffing the entire way up to, um, there's like a picnic table turnaround spot. Now you can continue on. There, are, There's kind of a network of trails up there. So if that's not enough for you, you could do a little more and then turn around. Yeah, the museum parking, at least it was the last time we were there, they're reserving that for people going to the museum, but there is across the street a public parking garage. So that's where you would park if you're just going to use the art museum trail and come back down that same trail. Right. All right. I just wanted to mention a few other trails that I did with my girlfriends. Matt hasn't had a chance to do these yet. Now there's the Art Smith Trail, not to be confused with the Art Museum Trail. This is different. This does not get a lot of hikers because in total, it's a 16-mile round-trip hike, so I think it scares a lot of people off. But we just did about three miles out. There is a palm oasis, and then we turned around and came back. So it was perfect. It was just what we were looking for. It's a pretty trail, lots of boulders, some great views. So that's a good one. And another one, this one is very um, famous in Palm Springs and very popular It's called the Cross Loop Trail. I don't know why I haven't taken you up to that one. I have no idea. (laughs) This one starts in Palm Desert, the town of Palm Desert. And it's a local landmark because when hikers hike up, it's a 2.7 miles round trip. There is a giant cross up at the top. You, You hike to a cross and they have lights on it. So it lights up at night and it can be seen for miles when it's illuminated. Uh, this is about 600 feet of elevation gain up to the cross, but Matt, it's a 60 foot tall cross. So it's pretty cool when you get up, get up there. It is cool. So the uh, St. Margaret's Church actually owns and maintains the cross, and then the land belongs to the Stone Eagle Golf Club. Um, but this is really popular, especially like at sunrise. It's really popular. People do sunrise Easter hikes and Ash Wednesday and things. Really popular trail. Short, a little bit steep, but it's a good one. Yeah, some of those uh, shorter trails are good, like like we said, for people who are there on vacation and want to do other things that are, aren't as strenuous. You can do some of these shorter hikes, still get your elevation gain in, still get a lot of cardio and feel like, okay, you're not... You're not taking off completely. Yeah, one more that I wanted to mention, also popular and short and steep, is the Bump and Grind Trail. It starts in Palm Desert. It's about three miles-ish and a 1,000 feet of elevation gain. Why do they call it Bump and Grind, Karen? (laughs) You know, I was wondering that myself. It kind of sounds like a a dance club or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not family-friendly. It's not. Was there bumping and grinding? (laughs) You know... um, I, I would call it moaning and groaning oh, myself. Okay. That's, but <laughs> it's going in the wrong direction. Let's just, just move on. <laughs> These are just a few of the short hikes that you can do in the mountains surrounding Palm Springs. You know, so there are three mountain ranges that you can see from the valley. There's the San Jacinto, the Santa Rosa, and the San Bernardino. There's even a national monument, the Santa Rosa and San Jacinto Mountains National Monument jointly managed by the BLM and the U.S. Forest Service. 
The monument's boundary encompasses about 280,000 acres. Right. And so the public lands that you can access and hike in in this entire Palm Springs area is massive. All right. And a little bit further away, let's talk about another one that we did. I love this uh, trail. Uh, You had done it with your friends before. Uh, We did it just a, a few weeks ago. It's the Ladder Canyon, also called the Painted Canyon Trail. And this is on Bureau of Land Management land. And this is further, gosh, east and south of the metropolitan area. Right. And this has been listed as one of the best day hikes in Southern California. And there's a good reason for it. So it's located in the Mecca Hills wilderness. It's pretty close to the town of Mecca. And it's easy to find driving directions online. What's not as easy is the actual driving part. <laughs> yeah, we when we uh, rented a car on this last trip, uh, for some reason, they gave us a big old SUV. And the the road out there is pretty sandy. Now, it was, I mean, once we got back to the trailhead, and we always find this to be true, is you get back there and you see people in these little sedans that, that made it just fine. Um, but yeah, we slid a little bit. But yeah. just know that... It's a little bit of a trick to drive out there. Well, it is because the last five miles is unpaved. It's sandy. This is called Painted Canyon Road. And it does help to have a four-wheel drive high clearance vehicle. Uh, When you read the trail reports, like on all trails, you will read of people getting stuck in the sand. What some people do also is they don't drive all the way to the trailhead. They might park a mile or two back and then hike to the trailhead. So, you know, it just is going to depend on what the conditions are on the day you go. If there's been a recent storm and some flash flooding, the road could be completely washed out. All right, let's talk about what makes this hike so amazing. All right, well... Karen, technically, this is a lollipop trail, isn't it? Well, it's, it it's is. It's a long, skinny lollipop. You start off by hiking up the same wash as everyone, and then you have you have a choice to make. You can do the trail clockwise or counterclockwise, and we suggest doing it clockwise, which you get to a, a turnoff where you'll start to see the first ladders. And these ladders take you up into kind of these like precarious slot canyons. You, could, you couldn't do this trail without the ladders. But the ladders make it so that you can climb up through these slot canyons and then up through a, a more difficult wash, but you're aided by these ladders. Yes, it's very fun because there are are multiple ladders. You are hiking the first half through through Ladder Canyon. It's mostly a slot canyon that you're hiking through before you climb up out of it up to this kind of plateau area. Now, the whole thing, this particular loop that we're talking about is about four and a half miles, 900 feet of elevation gain. Um, But one thing that we really liked is that um, instead of having trail markers, they have piled up rocks in the shape of arrows. Didn't you think that was unique? That was unique. It was helpful. I mean, generally in public lands, they don't like you to put a lot of cairns or make arrows or, you know, things out of the, the rocks. But it was helpful because there were a couple of times where you would get to a spot and there would be an overlook off in the opposite direction of the trail that was popular for people to go see. 
And so the arrow is telling you, yeah, that's fine. You can go over there and do the overlook. But when you decide to continue down the trail, it's this way. And the thing is, the reason we suggest you do this loop part clockwise is because that means you are going up almost all the ladders. There would be one that you would be coming back down, but you're going up the ladders through Ladder Canyon, then you reach a plateau, and then you hike down through Painted Canyon, which is much gentler. Um, It's not so much a slot canyon. It's more of a wash type of hike coming back down. Right. I think there was a couple of ladders, and, and there was one area where the ladder was, there was water running off, so you, you do have to pay attention to what you're doing, but I, I think anyone can do this. I think so too, because it looks a little bit intimidating, but I was reading that the ladders are maintained by the Coachella Valley Hiking Club, and they do a great job. So not only are there ladders, but they're secured yeah, to right. the rock face, right. which is huge. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't have gone on them had they not been secured. <laughs> I know. We did an Instagram reel featuring this hike, and I was asking people jokingly if they could figure out the name of it because the videos were all of us climbing ladders. And a couple people joked, it's the Home Depot hike <laughs> yeah. because these some of these look like ladders straight out of Home Depot. And they, you know what? They probably were. Yeah. And they were all nice ladders. I yes. mean, it looked like they were kind of like new ladders. So uh, they are doing a great job of maintaining them and, and roping them to rocks so that they don't flip or slide or whatever. Right. And here's the thing. So flash floods do come through here. So A... <laughs> Don't go if there's rain in the forecast. It would be very dangerous. And B, apparently these ladders are washed out frequently. And then the Coachella Valley Hiking Club comes in with their own funds. They buy new ladders. They have a work crew. So this is like their pet project, which is such a great thing to do, to like be stewards of this particular little area. Yeah, you really couldn't. Just the general public could not hike this trail. Without those ladders. Right. I mean, it it isn't one of those things where, well, if you try hard and kind of know how to rock climb, it's it's just not possible. So it's great that they maintain those ladders. It really is. And the thing is, too, now we would suggest do this main hike. I mean, it's, it's great fun. It's perfect. But just know there are a few other slot canyons in this area. You know, this Mecca Hills wilderness is... It's just this huge ridge of rock formations and slot canyons that were created by the San Andreas Fault and, and, you know, thousands of years of erosion. So when you get to the trailhead, there's a map and it will actually show you a couple of other slots. And my girlfriends and I found one that we didn't have time to explore this time when I took map, but there's another one where you have to climb up a rope into this slot canyon. It's like an alcove. You shimmy up this rope and climb in and continue from there. So if you feel comfortable doing the first leg of that and it's all good and you feel like you've got some more juice, then you could go into this other slot and try climbing up the rope. Um, So yeah, some other trails out there that you could add on or just do a second time when you go out or third time. Another thing we should mention uh, regarding this trail is if you wanted to make a full day of it and you wanted to visit the Salton Sea, you're pretty close to the Salton Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you probably have time if you start early. Like we we did this midday. Of course, it was cool weather, so that was fine. Um, I think we got to the trailhead at like 10. But if had we 
wanted to make a full day and go to the Salton Sea, we could have gotten to the trailhead, let's say like 8.30, done this trail, uh, and then still had time to go visit the Salton Sea and then get back to Palm Springs. Yeah, you can see it clearly when you are up hiking along this this ridge line when you come out of Ladder Canyon. Just one thing we wanted to say too about all of these hikes, just remember you are in the desert. Most of these hikes at the trailheads, there is no water available. There are no bathrooms. So you want to make sure you have everything that you need, your your snacks, plenty of water. Don't go in the heat of the, don't go in the summer <laughs> in the afternoon. You know, just be smart and make sure you have everything you need. Okay, Karen, let's talk about where to stay in the Palm Springs area. We got a question the other day, and I think it was from a patron on our Patreon account. They said they were going to visit Palm Springs for a couple of days as part of a, a larger trip and wanted our advice on nice places to stay. You know, the, the lodging in Palm Springs, the prices go way up and way down, obviously, because, uh, you know, during the season when it's, you know, wintertime and everyone flocks there, it, it can be expensive. Yes, absolutely. And it's going to depend, your lodging is going to depend, I guess, as it always does on your budget. So they have, of course, they have chain hotels. Um, They have little 1950s motels. They have spas. They have resorts. And there are also a lot of homes for rent. So if you're taking your family or maybe you're traveling with another couple or two, you want to rent a house with a pool, that's an option too. Yeah. Now we've stayed at the Hampton Inn there um, years ago. Hampton Inn's just fine. Another time I was uh, at a conference for work. We stayed at the uh, JW Marriott Resort. That was great, but it was expensive. We didn't have to pay for it because I was on business. Yeah. So a huge variety of lodging in the Palm Springs area. And again, remember when you're doing your search, there is also Palm Desert and there's also Indio and there's also La Quinta. And so lots of lots of towns where you could search for lodging. What about restaurants, Karen? You, you know more restaurants than I do. You know, I I started to write some down, but the list is huge. And of course, everybody is looking for something different. But I, we just want to say you can find whatever you like in this area. Um, and one fun thing to do that we would never have thought of, our friends took us to, there are some hotels, and we went to a few in, in the Palm Springs specific area. There are some hotels with these great pool areas, and they have restaurants out by the pool and little cabanas and things where you can actually... Actually, even if you're not staying there, you can go out, order lunch, sit by the pool, sit by the palm trees and have a nice lunch. So so there's that. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I also went with my girlfriends to a really fun piano bar called the Sandbar. There's more than one piano bar if you like that kind of thing. So there's fancy dining. There's In-N-Out Burger, Matt. There is In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> I know this because <laughs> we had to go out of our way to go to that. You know what? I'm okay with going out of the way to go to the In-N-Out. They are pretty good. We don't have them in Washington State yet. Hopefully that's going to change. So when we go to Utah or Southern California or Las Vegas, we always hit up the In-N-Out Burger after a hike. Uh, That's something we love. But yeah, you know what? Whatever you're looking for, you are absolutely going to find it in this general area. Yeah. All right, so that's going to kind of wrap up this episode. You know, we just wanted to say we get a lot of mailbag questions from people who are struggling with planning their trips because 
the couple, or maybe, you know, maybe they're also including their kids, they like to do different things. So maybe the husband just wants to play golf and the wife wants to hike, or the husband wants to hike and the wife wants to play tennis. But you know what? Palm Springs has something for everyone. That's right. Uh, People can go their own way during the day, do whatever activities they want, and come back to the pool (laughs) when they're done. And like you said, great restaurants everywhere, something for everyone, uh, usually mild weather in the wintertime. Yeah, so we, we love the area. We do. And of course, when you add on then the beautiful Joshua Tree National Park, which is just basically up the hill about, well, you know, it could be 40, 45 minutes, depending on where you're staying. You know, you pretty much have it all right there. Yeah, yeah. That's a fantastic whole nother set of activities to do. Listen to our episode number 150, the one right before this about uh, things you can do in Joshua Tree. Yeah, you could do a whole week in this area. Absolutely, because you know what? We were there for four days. Day one, we hiked on the Pacific Crest Trail. Day two, we hiked in Indian Canyons. Day three, we went up to Joshua Tree and we did the Panorama Point Loop. And day four, we did the Ladder Canyon on Bureau of Land Management land. So a taste of everything. And that was just four days. I'm telling you, if you had a week there, then you could add on some of these others, or you could just sit by the pool. All right. Thanks for joining us today. And a special shout out to all of our listeners in Great Britain. We are chuffed to bits. (laughs) We're what? Yes, we're chuffed to bits for our Great Britain listeners. (laughs) Do you want to translate that for me? It means that we're very pleased, I think. Or could possibly mean something else. Like... I hope you just didn't offend all of our Great Britain <laughs> listeners. We'll find out when this this podcast episode drops. <laughs> okay, so we are currently working on an episode about the early days of Yosemite and Sequoia National Parks and the role that Buffalo soldiers played in developing and protecting these parks. And, you know, you might be surprised to find out that they were responsible for some of your favorite hiking trails. So we're, we're going to be talking about that. Yeah, and we also just released a Patreon episode where we talked about some really unusual things that happened to us last week. It was a um, surreal week, wasn't it? It certainly was. (laughs) Yeah, so if you're interested in subscribing to our Patreon account, the link is in our show notes. Right, and we will see you all next week. 